0: Hunch am an alcoholic. First of all, I just like thank you for uh, you know allowing me to be here, and uh, and I of my understand you have another day. Uh, you know, uh, I'm kind of how would I say uh, nervous, which I'm usually not, but uh, I was telling my friend Bill here that asked me to share, and some other individuals over here. You know, I. uh I attend a lot of AA meetings, and the literature is talking about, I work out of another program. So I, I can't refer to this book here because I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't use that book. I use another book, okay? But the program that I come from, I know this is a grandfather program, and I'm grateful for this program. Now, I've had an opportunity that uh, was 100 days clean. I was sitting to a spiritual retreat over in Sinai, over in the Bay Area, uh, trying say, uh, Santa Barbara, area, and uh, was introduced uh, to a lot of people that uh, had some time and, and uh, talked about, uh, you know, how important uh, AA was because at that time the other program was brand new and, uh, you know, and we did have no literature. So, you know, I have to say that... Uh, I'm gonna try to stay in the traditions as I possibly can and uh, and uh, by any chance uh, you feel offended, uh I'll make my amends right now, okay? Uh, you know, uh, my experience, my strength, and my hope, my experience I uh, used for thirty years. I okay? drank. Uh, I got clean when I was uh, forty three. That's two ten oh one. I believe uh, you know, if you don't know your clean date, uh, you know, I asked somebody that it was oh I asked about or more or less, uh, you know, I know my clean day. My clean day to me is the most important thing, more important than my belly button. You know, and it's because, uh, you know, uh, without that I wouldn't have nothing. I know that. You know, the very first thing I had to do was stop putting uh, alcohol in my system. That was the very first thing, in... I don't know about any of you, I, I didn't see that as my problem. It was always either them or her, or, you know, I was somebody's always dating somebody else. You know, they didn't know, they didn't understand. I was different. You know, all these things that's here, you know, and when we come in here and we look for all the differences, I got clean in this area, I'm not originally from here, I'm originally from from Southern California, and, and when I came in, I came to a new meeting at the Llano Club. Okay? Eight and a half years ago. And I walked in, and I just saw right here, and I could see some color. Okay? But when I went into the Llano Club, and that new meeting, I looked around, and I said, "It not work for white people, but I sure don't look like it works for brown people. Because ain't nobody was there but me. Uh, and like I said, I looked for all the differences. Uh, he probably be a snitch. His old lady probably tells him what to do, okay? I can tell she wears the pants in the house, you know. This was all the things that i seen, all the differences, you know. And then, of course, i seen some things that attracted me. You know, they say this, this program is, is about a and our promotion. You know, I've seen the nice cars. I've seen the nice ladies, the watches, you know? And because, where well, I come from... Uh, those things uh, were important to me. And if I couldn't have them uh, the right way, I'd get them whatever way I could. That, that's just the way it was. And the reality, the thing was that uh, I come from a family that uh, taught me values and morals and hard work. I mean, I can say that, you know what, uh, growing up in Southern California, that I had the need to go and, and be on the streets or run around in the streets. In fact, I, I was raised in a little town called Hacienda, which in the colony of Los Angeles. Uh, you know, this is the 50s that I'm growing up in the '70s, uh, and my cousins from Los Angeles, from the downtown area, would say that we were country okay. folk. you know where I where I grew up. Uh, I remember. You know, six, seven years old. I, the last street on the neighborhood right there was Pasadena. There was an orange grove, and uh, so you know, I can say that uh, that I had to be on, you know, running the streets, making money, this and that. I, I'm I'm a come from ten, five boys, five five girls, and uh, I'm the youngest. So I was a fortunate one. I had a car when I was in eighth grade. Okay? I how fortunate I was. You know, my, one of my younger bro- older brothers gave it to me. You know, and, and you see, uh I had a father that was an alcoholic, was a big time enabler, uh, codependent, and uh, you know, taught me the best he could with what was taught to him. You know. He came uh, from an orange picker, like I said. We come from Southern California, and that's what he did. You know. uh, during the war, went to uh, work at Santa Anita Racetrack. From there, he helped build the Santa Fe Dam, which is right there in San Gabriel Valley. And then in 1948, he got his uh, contractor's license for farm labor. Started running crews, and he bought his first truck in 1949. So, you know. He built up a business, It was a farm labor contract and kind of trucking business. And as the citrus came this way to Southern California, he started coming this way. He'd come and then we'd go back. You know finally the house was sold over there in nineteen eighty six. And I finally stood over here because I paroled over here. And uh I believe this is important because like I said, uh I remember coming over here in the summer from over there. And I said, it was, it was okay, but that, he would make me uh, go out and, and go work in the field. And he'd come, older brother, that was running the cruise, taking with him, you know, swamp boxes, no grapes. And I said, man, why do I gotta do this? You got money, just give it to me. You know, like I said, I've, i you know, I don't know about any of you, I've always looked for the faster, the shorter, the easiest way. That's always been, you know, the route that I take, you know. So why do I got to work hard for it? And uh, so I was taught that uh, the value of the dollar, the value of work, uh, the value of being honest. He would tell me a lot of stories of my grandfather how there was no better feeling than walking down Main Street as my grandfather told him, with an hat, placed on his head, right, and be able to stop in any store that he liked, and pull out his wallet, and with hard-earned money, buy whatever he wanted. And there's been hustle since man began. And, you know, I guess back then, too, you know, know, it was always different ways to make money. Because instead of somebody, if you made that money the wrong way, somebody would come and tell you, and you were purchasing something, and they knew how you acquired that money, would tell you, he can buy it, but you know how you got it. He would tell me stuff like that, and at the time, I was like, you hey, know, man, what are you talking about? This is the
1: 70s. about when you grew up in the 20s in Los
0: Angeles, and, 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 you know, the depression, and, you know, what does that got to do with me? I remember him telling me, what is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong, and that will never change. He told me, I mean, for being a man that uh, only went up to a sophomore in, in high school, and for someone to do that back then, was, that was a great accomplishment. You know, uh, He was a very intelligent man, but uh, he loved his alcohol and he loved his women. And I don't know how my mom stood married to so him, 50-plus years. Okay? He liked that whiskey and he liked them women, like I said, you know. And so growing up, I seen I seen my older cousins, I've seen my older brothers, how they worked hard and they have things and they have their house and they have their family, but they always seem to have a girlfriend in the side. And I'm saying this because I thought, well, hey, that guess how you get nice. When I grew up I'm supposed to do the same thing. Okay? It wasn't like say it wasn't talked about, it wasn't said. But you know how hey, I seen it. And I say this because it wasn't until I got sober and then I got some sobriety. Because I know one thing. I know the two different Okay? There's a difference there. You know. And in the fellowship, we thought we'd think about being clean and being in recovery. But those are two different things. Way two different things. You know. And so... Uh, this is important because, like I said, uh, I always thought, well, you know, hey, I would, I would hear things from my family after I started getting into the disease, and and, and I didn't even know I had a disease. You know, I started about the age of twelve, thirteen. You know, when I'm growing up, you know, there was the booze was a given. I remember drinking Ripple, okay, because so it was cheap, Spinata. okay, big old bottles like that, right, and. Uh, in school, they would tell you nickel bags of all kinds of different colored pills, which way you want to go, okay, and all kinds of other stuff, you know. So, you know, it was just that era, and so I like, experimented with all that, okay. And I, I found my, my, my chemical of choice, and it wasn't none of those. And it was one of those that gave me instant gratification, okay, because I, well, those things took too long. It took too long to drink, and you have to drink so much, and, and I think all that other stuff. But I kind of hit you. And when I found that one that went straight to the mainland, I found it tough.
1: And of course, they
0: told me and they warned me. You know, hey, all kinds of things are gonna they happen to you because you don't know better. I know better. I'm smarter than you. Okay, so I'm gonna be able to. I graduated from high school. I mean, not I graduated from high school. I went to a, a trade school. I know how to do a commercial and residential electrical wiring. I worked. I pulled underground. I worked at six, six feet. I did all this when I was young, but I just wasn't, you know, to my to my liking. Uh, my dad didn't want me to drive truck, and. Uh, that, that was my thing. I could drive a cocktail when I was 11, 12 years old. And uh, so I, I left all that, and I got behind the wheel of the truck. And, and for me, that was a best thing, because I was never in the same place on any given day. You know? And I had nobody looking over my shoulder. So I could do whatever I wanted. You know? And uh, what I did know was that uh, by the age of 21, I would be sitting in a prison cell. And uh, when they told me that, two gentleman told me that, and they thought, I'm not going to prison. I'm not stupid like you. You're going to prison because you know you, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, but he was right, and uh, that totally—how would I say—the uh, belief system that I had at one time, which was just right. And it was going sideways. After I went there, it just went totally a different way. You know, I, I learned there uh, that I couldn't have compassion or empathy for my fellow man. Okay? And so uh, even writing, I like doing that, I had to do it to survive. So what I did when I was in there to get rid of that feeling of after I would hurt somebody, you know, there was always tuna. I learned how to make that two that you, from an old guy, you know. Because it was just something that had uh, worked. You know, if, if, if you did it good, I could get a, a 16-ounce tumbler and down it, and you could fill it, you know. And you knew what you were doing. So I always found a way to change the way I felt. And that was one of the things that uh, I guess probably the biggest lie that I would tell myself. That I did what I did because I liked it. Well, you know, in the beginning I did like it. When I was in junior high and in the beginning high school, I liked it. It was good. It was, I had great times, good times. Uh, but after I got on that drug choice at 19, and then it became work. You know, it wasn't it wasn't about yeah, it was still good times but there was always you know i I'm, I'm uh I had to uh be at work and I gotta make sure that I got this and I gotta do that and, and uh it was just very, very complicated. And I couldn't figure out why uh life was so hard to live. And uh it wasn't until I got here that uh, I learned that about the age of 13 the God that I had understood uh, I got him and I put him in my back pocket and the only time that I used him was when I used to play let's make a deal you know and I got caught or whatever and I would tell him hey, man get me out of this one and I'll change and I won't do it no more and you know everything I told him
1: and he would always keep up his
0: part and I would always say sucker so I go back and do it again True, sure. you know that's the truth you know I mean I, and I found that out after I came here you know he was the one that I feared but did I really fear him I'd say in the end of, 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 of May on my drinking and, and, and using other chemicals. Uh, I, I didn't want to die, but I was willing to. In the morning when I got up and I had to do whatever I had to do to get whatever I needed, I uh, was gonna get done, you know? And by that time I was already by myself, house uh, and I liked it, I got isolated, you know, I they I've got the big family, and, and uh,
1: I just, I, I would stay away from
0: them. The last five years, I remember staying away from them. I wouldn't go to no kind of birthday parties. I wouldn't go to no barbecues. Nothing like that. And I got invited. But I always thought, well, you know, they don't want me around because I'm the one always, you know, has to go take care of their business first. And then come there. and then if I run out, then I got to go and go take care of more business. Or... Like I said, what kind of party is it if somebody hits somebody? You know, you know what kind of party is it if you know, hey, somebody says, hey, let's go and get a breath of fresh air outside, okay? And it's your best friend old lady. Okay? I don't know about you, but those things that I said, I even said, hey, I'm not going to do those things. I know better. And I get it? And so not to feel that I kept putting all that stuff in my body. So when I got here uh, I was pretty dead. In fact spiritual. I just didn't know that's what was wrong with me. I just knew that everything that I used stopped working. The last four or five months before I I got clean and sober. Uh, it just they wouldn't work no more. I couldn't get rid of that guilt. I couldn't get rid of that hurt. I couldn't get rid of that remorse. I was too much of a coward to get a pistol and put it in my mouth. And blow my head off. Right. Because uh, that's what I felt. But I just I couldn't do that. But I get a lot of other suicidal things, robberies with no guns, you Knowing, you know, I mean, who's gonna go rob a place if you don't got a gun or a knife? And, you know, hey, that, that's pretty stupid. You know, you know the second step says here, you know, you know that our insanity will be, you know, retarded. You know, we come to police. And I remember hearing that second step, and I kind of thought, I'm not insane. What are you talking about? You know, I'm not crazy. Of you know, but when I think of that word, I think of an individual in a in a, in a, in a jet strike jacket, you know, all strapped up in in State Hospital or Camarillo summer or a Napa, something like that. That's what I think about. You know, but after I came here and I got a sponsor and I started working the steps, and they told me, you know, what insanity was, and, and uh, I had to look at it. I looked at it for what it really was. And I always expected different results. And I kept doing the same thing. You know, they kept telling me, you know what, that's a brick wall and you can't run through it. And I kept trying to run through it. And even after they told me, you know what, if you go to the side of it, there's a door. And it's got a knob on it. If you turn it and you open it, you can go through it. It's a wall. Oh, hell no, I'm going to go this way. That's insane. That's insane. But like I said, at the time, I couldn't see that. (laughs) I'm going to put on the first step. Because I believe that's the step you have to do perfectly. That first step is the first step you have to do perfectly. And uh, the principles that are there, the spiritual principles that are there, that uh, I've come to learn that... uh, and I know that in an alcoholic phenomenon, they say the key is acceptance. But before I can get to that spiritual principle of acceptance, there's four others that i got to work in that first step. And the first one is, I have to admit. I have to admit. And in order for me to admit, the spiritual principle that I have to work is honesty, self-honesty. Not to any of you, not to none of my family members, not to nobody, but to me, I am an alcoholic. This is what I am. When I do that, I'm able to work the second one, okay? and that's open-mindedness. And I have to, with that confoundancy, it allows me to open my mind. I have to admit, I'm powerless. My mind is now opened up. I'm powerless. Because before I came here, surrender, I don't think so. I got beat a few times with handcuffs on, and I still didn't surrender. And I would never surrender. Because in, in in my mind, I would say, I'm going to have these handcuffs off, and I'm going to get even. And I'm going to get you. Not your friend, not going to break the windows in your car, but I'm going to get you. That was my belief system. So when I heard here that I had to surrender, that just Breathe through me. like wait. What surrender? can't do that. But like I said, it wasn't until I did that first step. Like I said, I self-honestly, I admit it. My mind opened up that I am powerless. But what am I, powerless? Okay? After I did this too, I was able to become willing. Willing. But I'm powerless over alcohol. I'm now self honest My mind's opened up. I've been able to get willing, have the willingness. Because so the next step, the next spiritual principle that I've got to work, I've got to humble myself. My life is unmanageable. And I have to admit that. My life is unmanageable and it always will be unmanageable as long as I run it. And I have to humble myself to do that. See, I don't know about any of you. I don't like to say that. I don't know what I'm doing. Because I don't sound good. If I make a character you fix to sound good and look good, still today. Alright? And I'm proud like this, Oh, yeah. My ego is the one to say, I want to look good and I want to sound good. I want to be the best one looking here. I know that. A character defect that I have to work on. I'm honest. I'm willing. Open-minded. I'm willing. I'm not humble myself. And now I can accept what I am. I can work the last spiritual principle. Acceptance. This is what I am. I'm powerless over my alcoholism, and my life is unmanageable. Okay. That was the key when I first got here. After staying here for a while, this is the step that I go back to over and over again. Because when I start running into that brick wall, Oh, I forgot to tell you, I still have to run into that brick wall. Okay, there's no bad chemicals in my body. I don't have to, but occasionally when life on life's turn shows up, I still want to. Okay, because I want to do it my way. I have the power, and my life isn't unmanageable because I'm running it. I can't do two, or and I can't do three, and I can't do four. I can't do none of those steps. You can't do none of those steps. And they say, well, which step are you working in this situation? Well, guess what? You can't work that step in that situation, and then you surrender whatever the situation is about. And that you need to get out of the way and let God do what he has to do. I know that. A year and a half, this is life on life's terms. I get a phone call, be careful what you pay for. i had a boy that's incarcerated me, as long as I've been working on my recovery. I at that time, and, and uh, I'm unwinding him home. Well, he came home and uh, came out of a level four penitentiary. And so I thought, hey, gonna be wonderful and great. You know, it's, it's January, it's after the New Year's, and, and uh, he goes to a club and he calls me and uh, he tells me uh, I've been shot. Okay, and uh, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Okay, uh, I'm gonna to go to a friend's house and they're gonna take the bullet out of me. Okay, bye. See you. <laughs> And my first thought is, man, you know, I know he's coming from Porterville. I know he was in Porterville. I know he got shot out down the road. Uh, he hears me the details, but I don't know what's going on. And the very first thing I can say is, I want to run against that brick wall. I can make a phone call. I know where I can go get a gun. And I, all these things come in first into my head. You know, they harm my child, you know. Ah uh, and I'm thinking so this program has allowed me to think. That's another luxury I got today. What am I doing? I'm running with my will, and my will are my insane thoughts that are in my head. Okay. And so I have to surrender. I have to believe that my insanity can be restored. And I trust the God of my understanding, my will in my life. So I have to give it to him. And what do I do? I start praying. About forty-five minutes later he calls me. He tells me I'm on the way home. Okay? He's let my ex-wife's car, He gets to my house. He's got a towel on his back, he's got a shirt, a light colored t shirt that I let him borrow this shirt, Full of blood, got a hole in his back the of my thumb. okay? And he's telling me, uh, oh, I don't want to go to the hospital. And I have to tell him, you know, look, you can go to prison and you get out of that hole, you know, but you can't get out of a hole six feet in the ground. That's one hole you can't get out of. You have to go, you know. They didn't do nothing. They shot at you. But, and I'm running now with what I've been taught here. But the God that i come to understand is going to take care of me. And so I get him in the car. I take him to Clear Delta, and there just happens to be uh, a doctor that's on on call right there. Just happens to have about two or three weeks. He's been transferred from, gone uh, down from downtown from Glendale from the hospital there. Uh, part of the King Hospital. Well, like that's a specialty gunshot. And, and, and lucky enough, and this spine about a quarter of an inch, the shot was a Glock 40. Uh, I stood there and watched him take the bullet out of him. And they gave him a local, and he came in from the side. And the bullet went in a kitchen and came in from the coffin. I seen him, and I seen my son, and all the pain he was going through, and I happened to have a, a shirt on. From the fellowship and the doctor see it. And he's telling me, how long have you been bleeding? And I tell him, he goes, uh, what's going on in your mind right now? I go, a lot of things. That's, that's my boy there in the front. That's my boy right there. Somebody heard him. And I want to take my will and my life back. And I want to go hurt somebody. And I don't care if i got to go to prison the rest of my life because I know how to live there. I know that. See, my insane thinking still tells me that I can go do the rest of my life behind prison bars if I had to. Not that I want to, but if I had to, I could. See, that's insane thinking. That is insane thinking. So, once again, I have to revert to that first step. I have to give it up. I have to surrender that I have to remember that if I do things my way I'm empowered to towards this situation and my life if I start running it will get unmanageable again that insanity will kick in I'll take over my will in my life okay I'll have a plan of a new course right okay I've got plenty of breakage to put on there right and then I'll have to of course go to that pit and let somebody know this way I know the fourth step is what I've done, and the fifth step is why I do it. And the sixth step, my character defects. Once again, all my character defects, which are up here, in my thinking. I know all my character defects lead up to one, sphere. Sphere. that's my number one character defect. Okay? Because like I told you, my biggest character defect is look good and sound good. What is that? that's fear. Man, are these people going to think I'm okay? You right, know, what's going to happen? It goes back to fear. I know that. What that allows me to do is lift my shirt from. Of course, that's the action. You, know, you like the way I look? All right. Like what I've always done. Okay? Yeah. You like how it is? it. this is the only way I'm going to deal with that. I don't have to do that today. This same boy that uh this happened almost a year later, uh, he lifted his hand to me. Okay. And uh, he the greatest raised me. And he wanted a physical authentication. I told him, I'm gonna hit you. But I hit the same boy after. Uh, about 60 days late, and at that time that was my friend in still. We were in my alchemy and I was picking him up from faculty school and he had a, a baseball cap and he was trying to be a gangster. And I, I pulled the car over and I said, get out! You gonna be a gangster? And I slapped bitch, slapped him, and I knocked him out of the face. That's how you, that's how you treat gangsters. I said, those were my best friends skills there. Okay. I had 50 days sleep. But the important part of that story is that after I did that, I wanted to go drink some tequila so bad. Because I felt so bad, I felt like a piece of shit. Because my disease told me, you be a father, you're worthless. And you're always going to be worthless. So when this altercation happened about maybe eight months ago, I didn't hit him. Because I also knew that I come from a place that if I hit you, I'm not supposed to let you get up. And I turns that more than anything else. but I won't stop getting up. And that so i heard it. Son not no son. That's not a good thing. See, and out of that altercation, I would be the one who take more damage than anybody else. I would kill that human spirit. The little bit that I've got today that's been heated. I would kill it by my actions. And of course, step eight, never closes. That step is always open. See, because I don't know about you, you know, I don't got nothing in me, but I still... Once in a while, I've got people things that I shouldn't. And they don't even have it coming. Okay? So I have to keep that list open, because I still have to put people on there. And of course, now, when I get that freedom, when, whenever, wherever I can make those amends, and not injure myself and nobody else. It ain't going to do that. Well, I have a little character defect. I like to go out with married women. And after have commitment. Okay? So when I did my... My court said, I told my court, so I'm supposed to, go to my, my friend's house and going tell hey, you know, so many years ago I was growing up with your age. He goes, no, you don't do that. I <laughs> that ain't going to fix nothing. You might get your head blown off, and, you know. So, uh, I do that in different ways. I make an indirect amends. Uh, and, and I feel as if, yeah, I don't know why things of dreams come at me. <laughs> and uh, I have to uh, decline the offer and, uh, because once again I know I will get harmed. And any uh, eleven is lost. I, admit my wrong. I have to promptly admit my wrongs. I have to promptly admit my wrongs and then correct them. And the most important part to that is to stop doing the behavior, okay? So if I don't stop doing the behavior, it just smells good. That's like what I used to say all the time before, I'm sorry. I'm sorry don't mean squat. Every time they said I'm sorry, and of course, you let to keep that constant contact. And I do that. I don't leave my house. I don't care if I'm late without saying my prayers. And when I lay my head down to sleep, I can I don't care how much the day is brought in. Me. Okay, because I've buried my mother here. All right. I got my oldest son in prison right now still. But I wonder to get shot right now. Currently, is running from uh, 187. Yeah. This, is life on this is my wife. to say, You know what? This is the best life I've ever had. Because I got peace and I got serenity. So everything that I'm talking about, I know I'm going to be okay. And before coming to this program, I never thought I was going to be okay. I always thought I had to do something for that to happen. Because sometimes the biggest thing that I have to do is that I have to get out of the way and not do nothing. And that's hard to do, very hard to do. And of course, well, hearing the message, you know, through that call, same call. I get a call today, well, oh, from an individual that was uh, in the other program and, and thinks she can just drink, right? And so that's from uh, we really, I don't really associate with her much, but she told me every day and she says, "Oh, I need to talk to you from that." I said, well, you know what? I can't go over there. I end up going. I end up going. And uh, she's telling me about a teacher friend of hers and another lady that I know that, oh, man, look at their girl out there doing this, but I only do a little bag just once in a while. And I only drink. I'm not like that. I said, so you're the one that's more than validated. Think about what they got? And all I could do was tell her, you know what? When are you going to start getting busy in the, in the business of living? Because right now you're in the business of dying. You got a nine-year-old little boy that he's making all kinds of strides, you know, and he's doing good. And, and you think you can drink. And you don't think it's going to catch up to you. And I know that's a lie. Because this disease, all it wants to do is get me by myself and kill me a little bit at a time. And with that, uh, I'd like to thank you and for allowing me to share with you my experience and hope.